Psychological meaning. We're going to dive deep into your inner world, so you can discover where and how you need to grow. I'm your host, Jen, a licensed professional counselor, MDiv earner, and all-around curious soul. My mythical lawyers want me to remind you that all the information in this podcast is most definitely not a substitute for help from a licensed mental health professional. If you enjoy this podcast. Do me a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. Okay, enough of that business. Let's dive in. In the perfume of silence, Francis Lucille urges, let go sleep. Don't wake them up. Celebrate and just get used to celebrating more and more. He says so much more. In that little book about the beauty of detachment, of what it means not to try to vanquish the ghost in the cupboards of yourself, but rather to let them be, to acknowledge them, and just let them stay asleep. It's hard, though, because the ego longs to get rid of the ego. The ego longs to get rid of the things that haunt us. In our 12th episode, you and I are straining our ears to listen for the minor key the apocalypse loves to sing in. We're entering the ballroom of celebration, celebrating the defeat of what came before. And we're beginning to see the good that the apocalypse has uncovered as much as the painful. I'm sitting on my dorm room floor. I'm 21, and alone. In many ways, I'm truly alone for the first time in my entire life. There is no roommate, there are no friends, no romantic partners, no family, no Jesus. Just me. In a room that was old enough to smell earthy, like a classroom in the middle of summer that had been closed up for ages, or your best friend's basement that had concrete floors and a freezer large enough to store enough TV dinners to get you through the entire apocalypse. In retrospect, that smell was probably mold. But I didn't know that then. I didn't know that on that early spring evening. My deadbolt turned to lock the door, lock the world away. I was preparing to start my ritual, which I'm I'm only half embarrassed to tell you about all these years later. I had all of the elements assembled right there in the middle of the floor. I had the wine, which was a bottle of Welsh's sparkling grape juice, which was definitely an upgrade from the flat grape juice I grew up on. I had the bread, a King's Hawaiian dinner roll which was a regrettable substitute for the Portuguese sweet bread that I had grown up with. And then I had a cheap plastic goblet, 
that likely had begun its life as a cheap impulse buy from Walmart. I'm having communion. Alone. On a painfully hard floor of my dorm room that feels somewhere between a sanctuary and a prison. This religious rite had become a fully personal one. I had taken it over. I wasn't so intent on commuting with the divine. I was more intrigued in how it might help me understand myself. Although if you had asked me then, I think I would have just told you I needed to do something to soothe me in in the confusing, overwhelming mess that my junior year had been. So I sat on the floor and I poured the wine. I tore off a piece of the bread and I recited the words in my mind. On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. And after giving thanks, he said, Take, eat. This is my body, broken for you. I dunk the bread in the grape juice and I eat it. The sweet spikes my blood sugar, as well as that ache in my heart. I chew slowly, I'm ruminating on heartbreak and growing up and what it means to be alive. And I'm wondering also, what does it mean to let yourself be broken for another? I know that's not what he said. I know it. If you go back to the text, you'll see it too. That's not even close to what he said. But the poetry of breaking the bread and breaking the body seems just too good to resist. And it's my ritual after all. I can do whatever the fuck I want. And truthfully, I can't remember the theological reasoning of why it was so important that no bones were broken in Christ's body. Maybe it had something to do with his perseverance, how he didn't give up on life until life had given up on him, that he held himself upright as long as he could. I sat there contemplating a number of things, and and I finished my bread, so I dunk another piece of bread. This time the sweet is not as much of a shock to my system. Just like the brokenness is no longer a shock to me, Then, or now. I know what it feels like to be broken. To have people crack your heart open. Not with kindness, but with humanness. When I'm having a bad day, week, year, decade. When I'm feeling bitter. I I think I call that selfishness. I think I think... I think I think... Oh, metacognition... I think about how others are too self-focused on themselves to really, really care about the other. But I don't think that's quite right outside the decade of bitterness. I think it's more that being self-focused is about not being able to expand your awareness. It, It seems like it's the first steps of really growing up, of really maturing, of developing a wider relational palette is that you have to allow your awareness to grow beyond yourself while still remaining grounded in who and what you are. So often we become untethered, not we, some of us become untethered that we're either so focused on the other that we never come back to self and understand how self mediates and even dictates 
that desire to go out and to give and to pour yourself out for the other. And those of us, again, I'll count myself in this camp too, who remain too self-focused for our understanding, our awareness to expand beyond ourselves, well, we also remain ungrounded. The trick of really letting yourself break open is to understand the connection between the two, to be able to stay grounded in your body and your own awareness of self, while also expanding who you are and how you engage to see how that plays out for the other, how you impact them. And in impacting them, you impact yourself. I hope that makes sense. I, I often tell clients that the longer I do this therapy thing, this working to gain self-awareness, to understand what it means to connect, the more I discover I don't know. It's like I thought that I was just a small town, a tiny town where everybody knows everybody, sort of like the cheers of towns, that I thought that was all myself was. Only, only to discover that I actually have an entire galaxy residing in just my solar plexus. Never mind the universe in my heart and the multiverse of my brain. I'm at once so much larger and so much smaller than I ever could have dreamed. Back to the story though. There I sat on the carpet that carpet that just covered concrete floor and didn't have much padding underneath it. And I said the next part of the rite as I brought the goblet to my lips. He took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, drink from it, all of it. This is my blood poured out for you. And so I drank. The bubbles tickling my tongue, my throat, the sticky, sweet, syrupiness coating me in a way that seduces me into wanting more. It doesn't quench my thirst, it increases it. And so I sip what is essentially very fancy grape soda until the sweetness becomes too much. Because even in the midst of the brokenness, there's so much sweetness to be had in life, then as well as now. Just today, as I was writing my notes, not quite a script because I'm always, I'm getting more and more off script the longer we go, you guys. But as I was sitting and writing my notes, I was sitting down, we have this fireplace room and our baby cat, Olivia, I don't, I don't know that I've told you guys a lot about the cats, but she guest appeared on a episode recently, but Olivia came in and she sat right there in the sun and the light was coming through and you could see she's a black cat, but you could see that she's really not just a black cat. She's all of these colors and there were like browns and like some reds and she has this like lion's mane tuff and she just sat there watching me with some wariness but really just, just in this moment of soaking up the sun. And so I sat there with my arm out, reached out to her, not quite touching and assuring her that I would not touch her unless she wanted me to touch her. Just reaching out and also feeling the sun on my hand 
and watching it, how it made my engagement rings sparkle in the light. And how not only my rings sparkled, but her fur shimmered, and it was warm, but not unpleasantly so. It was a very sweet moment. Something I can still taste inside of myself. In a way that feels tender and lovely. And my critical voice is like, oh, I'm a little silly, Jen. Why are you telling them about the cat? I love our little creatures, though. I love how their eyes search for you. When they know that you're part of their colony, I think is what they say for cats or pack for dogs or family. When somebody trusts you and she didn't run away. And I think that's part of the sweet that she trusted me enough to know I wouldn't touch her unless she, we have a ritual where she sniffs my fingers. She kind of does a little curl in her. I can't replicate it. And then I can pet her head. And if she, it's too much, she'll arc her back and she'll slither away. It was a sweet moment. And back then, when I was having this ritual sitting alone in my dorm room, the sweet moment was that I was alone. That year was so filled with so many things and so many people and so many demands. And the sweet was I could just sit. I could have communion to myself. I, I don't remember exactly, but I, I bet I watched Veronica Mars shortly thereafter, if not that day, then another. I used to schedule it, actually. It was on my calendar. I would watch Veronica Mars every Wednesday when it came on the UPN. They were sweet to be had in being alone and not having the pressure of others' expectations or wants or desires. Over time, I think I've learned how to balance the sweetness of both things of wanting to be useful, of wanting to be engaged, of wanting to give, was trying to find ways to receive. We talked about that some last week. Still a growing edge for me. And yet, in this time of the apocalypse, it's starting to emerge as a lesson I'm, I'm learning more and more deeply. How can I receive as much as I give? And really, the more I allow myself to receive, the more I have to give. Although I don't have to give it all. I can learn to care without giving. Which feels like a paradox. And my, my critical voice also says it's selfish. But I don't think it is. I think too often we're seeking to fix the other, to solve the problem, to to be in some ways like the reverse of a martyr. That it's not that others kill us and we're making some grand sacrifice. It's that we're wanting to give as much as we can so others will remember us. Others will engage with us and really others will connect with us. We could keep talking about the sweet probably for a very long time. But the communion isn't over. There's always one last step to this ritual. Because after Jesus and his disciples had finished off the Passover meal, they sang a hymn, and then they head to the Mount of Olives, where he would soon be betrayed by his friend. 
Back in my dorm room, I allowed my iPod to shuffle and let it, or God, or the universe, or, I don't know, Steve Jobs choose. And the hymn that closed out my moment of sacredness, of sweetness and brokenness, was, and this is the reason I remember this, it was Pink Martini's version of Kesara Sara, which was surprising in the moment. And I think part of why this memory sticks out to me, why it gets vivid, it, because it was so uh, strange. I, I thought something like from Jars of Clay or Switchfoot or whatever would come up, but instead it was a song which, in retrospect, is the perfect hymn to usher in the unveiling of what was going to come next. It, it's... If you haven't heard the song, it's like something you would hear in the haunted house. It's discordant and particularly disorienting if you're familiar with the Doris Day version, which I was. As I told you last week, I watched a lot of old movies in an attempt to be cool and hip, although really no one around me gave a fuck. And In Kisara Sara by Pink Martini is a song for the apocalypse in many ways, but in part because it's asking three different questions to three different people. The singer, she starts by asking her mother, who will I be? And her mother responds, Kesara, sera, whatever will be, will be. The future is not ours to see. And then she asks her teacher, what should I try? To which her teacher with wisdom responds, Kesara, sera, Whatever will be, will be. The future is not ours to see. And finally, as the music becomes what feels like more disjointed, more unnerving, she asks her lover, what lies ahead? To which he responds, que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. The future is not ours to see. But here's the thing. I would never let a client get away with answering a question like that. We joke sometimes that one of the imaginary phrases on my wall that you're not allowed to say is, it is what it is. Like, what the fuck does that mean, it is what it is? To which, particularly now that we're in quarantine, I reach over to my bookcase, I pull out mythologies by Ronald Barth. Barth? I never know how to say his name. I pull out his book, I'm like, look, this dude, the semiotician, Explain to us if you've read the book, which they, I don't, maybe one of the clients says, I don't know. Most of them have not. What he says in this book, though, is that is a linguistic, like, finger pointing to a myth. It is what it is. Well, that means that it's something that has become mythologized, and it's not necessarily based in reality. It is a projection. It is a, a fantasy. It, uh, it only is what it is if you let it remain that way. In case sera, sera, whatever will be, will be, I suppose that we could have a more generous, kind, positive, upbeat interpretation of that. But what I love about this version, that the music skews it, that you start to hear the myth in it is what it is, except it isn't. And so the question she asks, I want to challenge you to imagine asking yourself. When she asks her mother, who will I be? Who will you be? 
the apocalypse is starting to draw to a close. And it doesn't mean that we won't go around this ride again. I've told you in the beginning, and I'll tell you again, I've been here many times. But as we draw nearer and nearer to the culmination, at least of this round of the apocalypse, the question demands, who are you? Who were you in the beginning of this, and who are you now? Who do you want to be? And you cannot tell me the future is not ours to see. That is right, it's not ours to see, it's ours to create. And really to co-create. To make moves. To, to make change within yourself. And so then the next question comes, she asks her teacher, and I challenge you to ask yourself, and perhaps even to ask those around you who you experience to be wiser, grounded, more creative, more playful, more engaged. What should I try? What should I try as I'm moving forward to become this person I want to be? What should I try to integrate all of what the apocalypse has been teaching me? What should I try? And finally, after you have found some things to try, and perhaps even started to try them, and as you have determined who you wish to be, you then can ask the question, what lies ahead? You may not ask the question so you know how to get the shortcut there. There is no hack for making it out of the apocalypse, never mind making it through life. What lies ahead is a question more about what will you bring with you to prepare for what lies ahead. It's true, we can't know what the future holds. We can't know what will actually happen. We can do, be, pay attention. I don't know what the verb would be. What we can know is how we want to show up. What we can know in a really difficult way is what the present tense is. What is happening in this very moment, in this very second. Can you be alive? Can you wake up? Can you choose, as I did that evening, to unlock your door, to walk down the hall, to break bread with others, to not be so alone, to choose connection over piety? It's really up to you. Celebration, when it comes down to it, isn't as elaborate or over-the-top or highly organized or uh, perfectly Instagrammable as it seems. Celebration, I think when it really comes down to it, is choosing connection. It's connecting with what it is that's just happened. It's connecting with ourselves. It's connecting with others. It's connecting to what is beyond all of us. And in the apocalypse, often 
we're scared to both stay in the discordant melody as much as we're scared to move into the smoothness, the sweetness. Because to move into the smoothness and the sweetness highlights how painful it was to be in the before. Maybe in some ways we don't want the key to turn bright and happy, even while we long for it. I think, I think in the end, the point might be the, the message of the apocalypse, at least for me today, is to learn how to invite my ghost to the party. To not vanquish our ghosts, to not hide them away in the cupboard, but to invite our insecurity, to invite our shame, our fear. To the feast and celebration, to feed our insecurity with gentleness, to dance with shame to the tune of acceptance, and to offer a glass of peace to fear. Maybe if we could learn to trust ourselves deeper and wider and make space for every part of us, we could learn the defeat of our shadow isn't in banishing it. It's bringing it into the light. That's all I have for today. The dilemma awaits us in next week's episode. It calls to us and it asks, how do you live freely without replicating what came before? We'll have to figure it out together. I'll see you then. Dude, thank you so much for hanging out, exploring your death, and I hope allowing yourself to be challenged to go deeper in understanding what makes you and your inner world tick. As always, I'd love for you to rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to collect all your podcasts. If you're gaining value or you just really like the podcast, I'd love for you to help me spread the word. As J.B. Stern said, silent gratitude isn't much use to anyone. If you're an Instagrammer, feel free to screenshot an episode, add it to your stories, and tag me at Therapy for Thinkers. If you are not a social media person, totally okay. Just share it with somebody you care about who you think might enjoy it. All right, that's enough rambling for today. I'll catch you guys next time.